Well, welcome everyone, and I should say welcome because you've already been welcome, but uh, I, I greet you once again, and glad to be here with you. Adam York, of course, from Up From Providence in Kingwood, and what a delight to be back here with you. I'm down here roughly once a month, but I'll be here actually this week and next, I mean, you're next week too, right? So, <laughs> I may be after camp, I may not be, uh, so please do pray for that. Um, Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Um, I have been preaching through this book, and so uh, it is on my heart and mind, and I bring to you um, the Lord's Word from this book. We'll be looking at um, particularly verses 12 and 13 of chapter 5. I'll read through 12, 12 through 22 but I'll be focusing just on those two verses. Um, and uh, just a reminder, uh, you, you may know this, um, often people think that, you know, what are the books of the New Testament that people had at first? And people often think, well, the Gospels. Um, but it's, come, it's mostly understood that the Gospels came a little later, and uh, it appears that the books first in possession of the, of the people of the early church were the epistles of Paul. And perhaps this very one, there's a debate as to whether the book of Galatians or 1 Thessalonians. Some people argue the book of James perhaps could also be uh, the first or among the first. But um, it's very possible that this letter is the first book of the New Testament. It's very interesting if you think about it that way, then what are the leading themes of the first book, or what could be those themes. And so we will consider uh, how Paul closes uh, with chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Again, I'll read through verse 22. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Well, may God bless. Now, oh, I better go grab my sermon. Uh, hopefully I can remember most of it, but I'll appreciate notes as well. Uh, may God bless now the reading and preaching of his word. Um, the, the title that I gave Mark um, just... Uh, Cross it out wherever it is. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, you, you can keep it there, but those three points will be the three points of the sermon. I changed the title when I gave it this morning. Of what is the work of the ruling elder? What is the work of the ruling elder? And we'll see in uh, this passage that it, it, it is those three matters. Uh, laboring, ruling, and admonishing. In uh, God's providence, by the way, uh, you know, we had uh, an election for elder this morning, and I didn't plan to be in this passage this morning. I, I, I'm not that good of a planner, really. 
And so there we were, and it was very uh, extreme, uh, uh, obviously, exercise of God's providence to bring us there. Um, but now, giving this a little bit of context, if you've read through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I hope you have, uh, one of the predominant themes in the book is this. And you see it at the beginning of chapter 5. The day of the Lord. The return of Jesus Christ is not only mentioned, but emphasized in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And when you begin chapter 5, that's how Paul is closing it. Again, one of the helpful things to realize that at the very first, uh, that from the outset, the church was focusing on the return of Jesus Christ. And so I asked my congregation this, this morning, why is it, having given an intense focus, especially at the end, on the day of the Lord, that Paul then switches and begins to address the issue of leaders in the church. What is the connection between the two? Um, is it just that Paul has a list of topics and he's, he's checking up day of the Lord, uh, leaders, you know, but there's no real connection between them. I don't think that's the case. Paul very carefully thinks through his letters, of course, the Holy Spirit guiding him. And think of it this way. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns as our king, he will exercise immediately, face to face, his kingly rule over us forever. That's what will happen on the day of the Lord. But is he ruling his church until that day? Well, yes, he is. How is he doing that? How is he ruling and exercising his authority in the church? Well, the answer, according to 1 Thessalonians, is that Christ is ruling through the elders of the church who he sets up to be recognized by God's people to rule on his behalf. And in a moment, I'll explain a little more why I think the focus is ruling elder. Uh, but um, we'll just begin with that. And we'll ask the question, uh, which I think is the appropriate question to ask of this text. What is the work of the ruling elder? And again, we'll see there's three answers. They lie, if you read Greek, and I know there are a few of you who do, there are three Greek participles in this text. And uh, first of all, ruling elders labor, Secondly, and this sounds redundant, ruling elders rule. <laughs> we'll see that they do, in fact, do that. Thirdly, the ruling elder admonishes. And so the ruling elder labors, rules, and admonishes. That may sound very simple. In fact, so simple that you may think, I already knew that. And, you know, there's nothing else. Well, there is something to learn here. There's some very uh, wonderful lessons to learn. We, you know, I've learned. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's much to, to take in here. So first of all, according to verse 12, ruling elders labor, labor. Now, there are a number of Greek words which express the idea of work, right? And the word used here is not the regular word for work, um, uh, ergo. Um, uh, and so um, the word used here has a particular nuance, uh, and the nuance here is that it indicates a work which is strenuous. And so what is the nature of the ruling elder's labor? It's a strenuous 
labor. It's strenuous. Uh, the, the most, the, I would say the best lexicon of the New Testament gives two definitions for this word. The first one is to become weary or tired. The second is to exert oneself physically, mentally, or spiritually, hard work, toil, to strive, to struggle. You get the idea, right? Um, the one who serves as the ruling elder, when he, Paul describes him as the one who labors, is not just a labor where he's, you know, checking his clock, um, okay, I can leave now. Um, he's not just punching the clock. He is exerting himself with a intensity, a struggle. Um, and there are at least two implications of this. The first implication is that those who are called to this work need to be reminded of the nature of the work. It will not be an easy work. Now, uh, the mission work here, uh, you, you do not yet have your own local elders, but you still have elders. Uh, Mark, myself, uh, of course, Coleman Simpkins was taken home to be with the Lord, and so we seek to, to replace him soon. Um, in some respects, brothers, you know, this message is remind, you know, we need to hear this. And of course, poor Nick has had to hear this sermon twice. But Nick, you and I need to hear this actually more than others. Uh, and Mark, you too, and, and those who may serve in this capacity. We need to understand that this work is not an easy work. That shouldn't be discouraging. You know, it, it could be discouraging because you know, if you're like me, when you're told, you know, this, what you're thinking about doing is going to be really hard. You may think, well, okay, then um, let's, let's consider not doing that because, you know, we, we all shrink back at the that kind of a challenge. That's normal. But remember, the one who calls is also the one who equips. The one who delegates is the one who provides the gifts and the strength to carry out the work. And what's beautiful when you look at the New Testament and the way the church is organized, elders do not do their work in isolation. I'm very thankful. Um, I'm really thankful now that elders are being added. Uh, you may think that, that, that I'd be happy to just lead the church all myself, and I would not be uh, at all, because the difficulty of the work requires someone coming alongside to, to carry you along sometime. You, you need help. You, you need men who will have your back and protect you. And so um, if the first indication is to remind those who would serve as elders that this work is a strenuous work, it is a hard work, it is not an easy work, the second implication of it being such a kind of a work is to those who would receive this kind of care. And it is this, for those men, you must respond with recognition, with respect, with honor. And that is the very same, uh, the very thing that Paul says in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, we ask, we entreat you brothers to respect those who labor among you. How come? Verse 13. And to esteem them he doesn't say just, just esteem them. He doesn't say esteem them a little. He says esteem them highly. Why? Because of their work. The one who labors is indeed to labor. <laughs> and to labor in a way that is strenuous. Uh, 
What do you do if someone comes along and really works hard for you in any sphere of life? What do you do? Well, you, you thank them. You are respectful to them. You honor them. Uh, I use this this morning. We, we don't have children here, but you can express it to your own children or grandchildren or what have you. You know, children uh, should recognize that, you know, they don't always recognize this. <laughs> Their parents work very hard for them. And so that is a reason to um, be thankful to them, to respect them. And, and so do elders. It does not mean, by the way, that you can never question what an elder says to you or that you can challenge them in the Lord on the basis of the Lord's word. But as you may question and challenge, how are you to do that? You do that in a way which is respectful, right? Which accords them the, the, the dignity of their office and the dignity of their work. And so this Greek word translated respect here in the ESV is the word to know, to know. Uh, Paul is not saying about such people that you, you know them, you know about them, you, that one, that one, and that one. No, he's saying you acknowledge their place before you. You know them. You, 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 you acknowledge them. Um, and, and that is very important because they are engaged in a work which, you know, um, and this is fine to say this, which, you know, many just couldn't, couldn't carry out on their own because it is such a hard work. You acknowledge such men. Now, I am technically not a ruling elder, nor is Mark, nor is Nick. We are all ministers. But the, every minister is, is included, has as that responsibility ruling. We get the benefit of having additional <laughs> responsibilities too. But every minister is a, you could say, ruler, is one who is in, entrusted with shepherding, guiding God's people. And, and though not a ruling elder, I can tell you as one who still rules that um, I've had many, uh, many a sleepless night thinking about God's people and the, the challenges involved in caring for them and the struggle, struggles that they are going through. Uh, there should not, by the way, be, I don't, I don't say that to say, woe is me or let me whine before you a little bit. That's not proper. To experience that is normal. And I try to encourage the young men who are coming into the presbytery, um, yes, you're, this is a terribly hard thing you're doing, and that's normal, and you're having all sorts of problems, and that's normal. It comes with the territory. It's very interesting. When you look in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul goes through this long list, <laughs> and after he talks about um, imprisonment, beatings, near death, 40 lashes minus one, being beaten with rods, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being adrift at sea, being on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, from robbers, from false brothers, through many sleepless nights. He ends by saying, and apart from other things. It's like, there's all these, all these things. But apart from all those things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's almost as if Paul was saying, you know, uh, all these beatings and so forth, they, they really even wouldn't be so bad if I didn't have the anxiety of the care of Christ's little ones. And not only 
God's people. But for in Paul's case, for various churches as well. And that, that weighed on him. The weight on the shoulders of elders is not just a work that is hard to accomplish. It is very emotionally taxing. And so therefore, please do pray for your leaders. Uh, we very much will appreciate that and we need it. And so, again, let that be a call to those who serve as elders to soberly realize uh, not only that they are being called to a difficult work, a strenuous work, but for those who receive such um, labor, even when it's, you know, those who work hard, they even make mistakes sometimes. We, we certainly do. Nevertheless, uh, honor and respect uh, such people. And don't even do it begrudgingly. You know, you can, you can honor someone and you can say, well, what? I have to honor them. God says honor them, so I'll honor them. That's not the way the Lord wants you to do that. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then he goes on to say this, very interestingly. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. These are the people people of God who are laying down their lives for your souls. And they will have to give an account to God. That is fearful enough. Uh, very, very fearful for me in some respects. Let them do that work with joy and not with groaning. Uh, good men are going to do it no matter what. It is better if they can do that with joy <laughs> and not with groaning. Well, we've seen that a ruling elder must labor, he must strenuously uh, exert himself, he must work hard. Secondly, ruling elders must rule. Now, that word rule does not appear in the ESV, but it is a perfectly legitimate translation of the Greek text. Uh, the phrase that appears in the ESV, are over you, in verse 12, the Greek word that translates are over you is the Greek word uh, proistemi. It's uh, elsewhere translated in uh, the ESV as leading, managing, and in fact, ruling. In fact, uh, it is uh, this word that is used in one of the primary texts used to distinguish the ruling elder from the minister. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let elders who rule well, who rule well, it's the same word, the elder who rules well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially, so there's the elder who rules well, and then there's another category, the one who labors in preaching and teaching, the ruling elder and the minister who rules and preaches and teaches. But know well that Paul speaks of those who are ruling over, who are over you, ruling over you, as those who rule over in the Lord, in the Lord. The nature of this rule is that it is done in the Lord. And uh, there are at least two implications of that. The first of which is that to rule in the Lord is to possess a delegated authority. Men who rule in the Lord do not just voice themselves up into this position of leadership. They don't take it. They don't have the authority in themselves to, to, to rule. They are given it. They are delegated this authority. Again, um, even though we don't have children, you can probably understand this analogy. Uh, maybe, maybe you were in this situation as a child, or maybe you've done this to your children. Imagine, you know, you want to go out, 
You have a couple of children, an older one, one who is old enough to watch the younger one. And so you leave the older one in charge of the younger one. And what do you tell them? You say, you're in charge. And what do you mean by that? Do you mean that, you know, now you do whatever you want? Or maybe they're thinking, I'm in charge. I'm great. Anything goes. Of course not. You're in charge, but they're under charge under you. When you get back, <laughs> they have to give an account of themselves, of what they have done. And it is the same in the church. Uh, the Lord places elders in charge, but they rule uh, sort of in absentia of his, 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 while he is not present. They rule in his behalf. They rule in the Lord, and they will have to give an account to the Lord himself. So they rule in the Lord. It is a delegated authority. But secondly, ruling in the Lord means that as they rule, they must, ref they must reflect the kind of rule that Jesus Christ does. His rule is a wonderful rule. It is a loving rule. It is a serving rule. To those who are given authority, they are not given authority to take advantage of others. They are not given authority in the Lord to exploit others. The proper understanding of the under shepherds is to rule in the place of the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that is the character of the rule of those who rule in the Lord. They must uh, exercise that kind of rule that Christ does. It is a cross-shaped rule, a cross-focused rule. It exercises the power of the cross and models the cross to the Lord's people. Uh, the nature of the elders' rule being in the Lord, um, I said there's two implications. There's actually a third implication of this. Uh, and that is to those who are under such authority. If you are under the authority of one spoken here, if there is one who rules over you in the Lord, that means that when they come and they guide you and shepherd you, you must receive that rule as though it were the very rule of the Lord himself. So long as they faithfully represent Christ, then to buckle or to bristle under their rule is really to buckle and bristle under God's rule. And so if the elders come to you seeking to admonish you, admonishing you in the Lord, and we'll speak about this admonishing in just a moment, and you tell the elders, why don't you go take a hike? That is essentially to tell the Lord to go take a hike. Right? That you need to be aware of that. Now, of course, if they are telling you to do something completely unbiblical and so forth, then, you know, then there's, there's a proper way to respond to that. And, of course, you, you probably should tell them to go tell, to take a hike. But if they are coming faithfully in, in accordance with God's word, you and I cannot do that. And we'll always give them the benefit of the doubt when they do come. By the way, this, this language of uh, Paul uses in verse 12 of over you in the Lord is, is a tremendously powerful argument for the idea of church membership. Church membership and the idea of it has fallen on terribly hard times today. People will say that's just some idea that people came up with and it means, you know, filling out a card or something like that. Somebody came up with this idea of filling out a card. That's what church membership is. It's not in the New Testament. If you ask many, sadly, American Christians, who are the people who are over you in the Lord? Uh, many may look back at you with this look of astonishment on their face. What do you, what do you mean? Who is over? Who is ruling over me in the Lord? 
Uh, no one. <laughs> and um, that's really quite sad. Think about it. In what would appear to be the very first letter of the New Testament, Paul commands those uh, to respect those who are over them in the Lord. And I submit to you, how can you, re how can you respect those who are over you in the Lord? Unless you have voluntarily submitted to their leadership through becoming a member of the local church. I don't, I don't believe that's possible. You can't obey the very command that Christ will command you to obey. And so rather than finding it troubling, you know, there's people, oh, it's very troubling the idea that people are over me in the Lord. Actually, that should be a cause of great thanksgiving and worship. It's kind of like the idea that, you know, think about that analogy with the two children. What if you had the little infant and you just left that little infant there, you know, and you took off to dinner with you and your wife and, you know, take care of yourself and change your own diaper and feed yourself and hope you don't have an accident. You know, no, that's, that's not loving. That's why you leave someone there over them to take care of them. And the Lord has done that. That's a good thing. We should be very thankful and worship the Lord even more for that. Well, we've seen how ruling elders are to labor and to do so strenuously. Ruling elders are indeed to rule and to rule in the Lord. Thirdly and finally, ruling elders admonish. Now, uh, let's think about this, the meaning of this word admonish. Uh, a lot of times I think in English, when you hear that word, I don't, I don't think it's commonly used in a positive sense. You know, someone is admonishing you. It's like, oh man, they are verbally whipping you or beating you up or something. Uh, that is not the idea of biblical admonishment. It's not that at all. What's the nature of biblical admonishment? It has the idea of a warning. So imagine that, you know, here's a, here's a giant cliff and I'm walking towards the cliff and I'm about to go off the cliff and hopefully there's somebody behind me who's saying, stop! Don't go off the cliff. You're in danger. Warning me, admonishing me. In fact, uh, that this word has the character of a warning. We see that in another use of the word in Colossians 1.28. The same word is used. Uh, it says this, Him we proclaim warning. Same word used here. could be translated admonishing. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you want to be presented one day to the Lord, mature in Christ? Well, I hope the answer from everyone is yes, yes, I want that. What is, what is the Lord have provided that you might be um, presented mature in Christ? It is those who would care for you, admonish you, warn you in case you are in danger, right? So you don't Walk off the cliff. The Lord is very good in that respect. He is very loving. He's, he's a very, you know, uh, he's, he plans out everything from beginning to end, including the care of his people. And that is something great. Well, um, there are two ways in which biblical admonishment is carried out. Uh, first of all, we can say this admonishment, which is a kind of warning for those who are in danger, is carried out in love. It is carried out in love. And we can see this through the use of this word in another text. The text in view is 1 Corinthians 4.14. Paul says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, hear the same word, to admonish you, how? 
as my beloved children. A parent who hates their children will never warn them when they are in danger. Uh, perhaps, you know, parents sometimes are afraid to warn their children to stop doing what they're doing because they're afraid that their children won't like them, right? But, you know, although that may appear to some to be loving, it's not loving at all. For, for, for your children, for your beloved children, you admonish them, you warn them. So admonishment carries with it, uh, it, it that it is done in love. It is done in love. But secondly, we can say that not only is admonishment done in love, and this, this continues that idea, it is done, we can say, with tears. With tears. Here another verse that uses this word uh, admonishment. This is, I uh, didn't mention this this morning, but as, if you ever heard of this nuthetic counseling movement, nuthetao is the word for admonishment. Um, this is from Acts 20, 31. Here's what Paul said. Now, this is Luke writing. But as Paul speaking to the Ephesians elders in Acts 20, 31, he says, uh, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. With tears. Yeah. I was telling someone earlier today, it's, as you get older, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's women too, but I know it's men, it's like you... I can almost cry at a drop of a hat. And I almost cried when I preached this this morning because I feel the weight of this. Um, when elders properly carry out this, uh, when they rule, and by the way, they, they, they work hard, they rule, they admonish. Really, they rule by admonishing. Think about it. They're not ruling by pulling out their, their sword and get in line or, you know, off comes your head or something like that. Their power is through words, declarations, warnings, right? And words are very powerful. As they give these, as they rule through the warnings, the admonitions, it's not, they're not doing so because they're on a power trip. They, they love these people. They do it with tears. Paul says, for three years, he did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Whoever is elected an elder should be prepared for strenuous labor, to rule in the Lord, and to admonish everyone in love and with tears. Uh, it's very interesting. Paul says at the end of this passage, I, I skipped over this whole matter uh, in, in Nick in the morning, so at least you, you get the extra here in the evening. He says, um, he says be at peace among yourselves. So again, that's a command, and you may think, well, how does that work itself out? Uh, if God's people will listen to those he, whom he has placed over them, who work hard, who uh, rule uh, in the Lord, who admonish with love and tears, there's, that's a recipe for peace. Be at peace, and you can be at peace in such a situation if you receive the Lord's care like that the way you should. That's a, that's a tremendous recipe for peace. And so be at peace, not only with one another, but be at peace with those who would seek to lead you in that way. Again, that doesn't mean you can't talk to them or say, well, why is it that we're doing this? Or please tell me about that. Go and ask those questions for sure. But the Lord has ordained such structures for your good and for your peace. And you may say, 
where's the gospel in this sermon? This sounds like a lecture about elders, and, and where's the gospel in this? Uh, don't you see it? The gospel is throughout this entire passage. Think about it. Christ is the one who first and foremost has labored and labored strenuously, labored in a way that no one, we talked about the heavy burden that elders bear, but Christ has borne a burden that none other can bear. He has borne the awful weight of the judgment due to sinners on the cross. He has borne the weight of complete obedience to God's law. He has carried out his work strenuously, laboriously, exerting himself. Moreover, as Christ brings you to himself, he not only labors perfectly, but he rules in complete love. Finally, Christ himself, in the exercise of his gospel, Christ admonishes you. He warns you over and over again, even through elders. He loves you to prevent you uh, from having a life which falls apart. Because without Jesus Christ and his love and care for us, every one of our lives would indeed fall apart. And so there is much gospel message in this. Look unto Christ. See the one who labors for you in his life, death, resurrection, who rules over you, who admonishes you, cares for you, and heed him as he does so through the elders he appoints. May God bless us now as we think about these things. Uh, let's go to the Lord and in prayer. Lord, cause us to think uh, over these matters again, very three simple tasks that elders are called to do, uh, to labor, to rule, and to admonish, and yet in in very unique and distinct ways over against the way this happens in the world. Give us the character of Christ in all of these things and cause uh, those who receive such rule to receive it to their blessing and for uh, spiritual nourishment to their souls. Be with those like myself and Mark and Nick and others who serve in this capacity and raise up local ruling elders for this church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.